Coming up on Chasing Natty, we're dipping back into Dynasty talk as myself and special guest Josh Chevalier from Fantasy Points dive into the best supplemental players to take in your CFF Dynasty drafts, as well as how to balance taking freshmen versus supplemental players in those drafts. In addition, we have to talk about Jordan Addison's transfer to USC. All this and more coming right after this. Looking to Jared Stearns, who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful drive to your work on this wonderful, wonderful Monday morning. Hope you all are staying safe. I know there's supposed to be some storms coming in across the entire country throughout this week, so everybody stay safe with all those. Uh, but even so, we're back with another great episode of Chase and Natty. We're dipping back into some of the Dynasty talk again. The topics on the show are going to kind of be a little bit more varied as we get into the summer because there's not that singular thing that everybody's talking about, like spring practices, fall practices, stuff like that. So we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit. And today we're going to be doing, like I said, a little bit more Dynasty talk. We're going to be talking about supplemental players. Uh, and for those of you who may not know what even I'm talking about, <laughs> these are players who are not freshmen, but are likely not owned in your dynasty leagues these are guys that are still on the waivers but if you're in a in a dynasty league where you cannot have made any kind of moves throughout the offseason these are players who've been just kind of sitting there and you realize some of these guys start to gain a little bit of value as the season goes on as starting lineups start kind of uh getting set you start seeing uh people come in from fcs people come in from the juco we'll talk about some of those guys today but with me today we have one of probably the smartest guys that I've ever seen play CFF or just and CFF Dynasty, and that's Mr. Josh Chevalier. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Jared. I'm so honored that you would even consider having me on this podcast. So looking forward to just chopping it up for an hour or so about CFF, and uh, and we'll see where this goes, huh? Yeah, like I said, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about here today. But as before we get started with anything else, you guys know my spiel. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, comment right down there below. Let me know in your dynasty leagues if there is a top player, like may maybe you don't want to tell me, but even like, cause you don't want your teammates to find out who you're targeting. But like, let me know who you think are the best players available in your dynasty league. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but again, it's so varied on who might be available in what leagues, but just let me know who you are most excited about maybe taking in those leagues going forward. And then if you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you're following us wherever you're listening, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Maybe you're listening on Spotify as well. Leave the reviews if you can. I always love seeing those, and especially the written ones on Apple Podcasts. Those always warm my heart just a little bit. And then if you haven't followed me on Twitter or Josh, uh, I don't know what you're doing. Make sure you go follow us there. I am CFF underscore Jared. You can find Josh at CFF guys. His is very simple. Gotta love it. Um, you can find him very easily. And then... As always, uh, we are part of the Campus of Canton podcast family. Uh, myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, and Chris Moxley, we make up the team there, uh, the CFF team over at Campus of Canton. We have podcast articles ranking CFF ADP, 
uh, new tools coming out for you guys. We have the CFF guide coming out later this summer. We're very excited to bring that to you guys as well. Uh, the draft predictor tool, I kind of went on my spiel about that last week. Go check that out if you're a member of Campus of Canton. It is, I'd say, probably one of the more interesting tools to be put out this year. Definitely can help you out in terms of determining value in your drafts and when to reach on a player and when not to. And then, of course, there are plenty of awesome other awesome podcasts and shows from the Campus of Canton family. On Mondays, you have us, Chase and Natty, with myself and whoever I happen to bring on that week. This week is Mr. Josh. Oh, that's a great little smile, sir. Um, <laughs> and on Tuesdays, you have Campus Life with Austin, Nason, Colin Decker. That is the college side of the flagship Campus Canton podcast. Wednesdays, you have Debbie Debate live streamed on YouTube with Felix Sharp, Matt Bruning, Austin, Nace, and Chris Moxley. Thursdays, you have the Canton Bound podcast with Austin, Nace, and Colin Decker. That is the NFL side of the Campus of Canton podcast. And then you also have The Official with Alfred Fernandez, Matt Powell, and David Nipple on YouTube. That is a recruiting analytics show. They're trying to build models over there, trying to predict which of these high school players are going to uh, do well, not only in college, but also all the way to the NFL. And then on Fridays, you had the Future Freshman Podcast with Brandon Sanders on podcasts and YouTube forums. And if you are a CFF Dynasty player listening to this podcast, stop what you're doing and go listen to that podcast as soon as you can because that is the best way to get to know a lot of these guys coming into college this year and to know whether or not they could produce for you right away. And I especially, especially am going to plug this last week's episode uh, where myself, Brandon, and Mitch Hart came on, and we did a, fr- a CFF Dynasty freshman-only mock draft. One of the best shows I've ever done, in my opinion, and it is absolutely worth your time. Great, great stuff there. So, Josh, let's say we get into the deeper stuff of here, but we'll go ahead and start with, as always, some Transfer Portal news. And there's really only yeah. one name we got to talk about here. <laughs> Every, like, all the others are minuscule compared to this. We got... Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of Pitt, going to USC, the former Bolitnikov winner here. Josh, what are, what is the impact of this? Like, what are we expecting both on the Pitt side of things and on the USC side of things? Yeah, I mean, on the Pitt side, oh man, I was already concerned with uh, Frank Canetti coming in from Boston College, and I'm not a huge Kadon Slovis fan. So I, the, the whole thing was I was scared for Addison and what his value is going to be this year. And, man, I think this just skyrocketed his value, of course, right? I mean, I think we've seen uh, Oklahoma wide receivers produce uh, year in, year out with Lincoln Riley, and then even before that at ECU. Um, when he was over there with Hardy and Zay, Fla- uh, Zay Flowers, Zay Jones, and, and those guys back in the day. So, I mean, you know that uh, Lincoln Riley is going to produce wide receivers, and Addison's just a perfect fit to come in. Um, I think all of us were a little worried about Mario Williams and like what he was going to do in that system, whether he was going to be the wide receiver one we had hoped. And so Jordan Addison comes in. He's a perfect wide receiver one, obviously, as the Blitnikoff Award winner. And I, I think, obviously and maybe bump his value a little bit. I mean, he's already going first, second round. But for Caleb Williams, I do think there was a little bit of nervousness, at least from my end. Like, the guy could have ended up QB1, and he could have busted. (laughs) Um, And I think this really ensures that he's not going to bust because he's going to have Jordan Addison as that security blanket. And they have great depth there in that wide receiver core. So I love this for Caleb Williams, and I really, really like it for, for Addison as well. So I, I, I like it. 
I like it from a football perspective. I'm a little bit more concerned now with C to C or C to C. CFF, C to C, I'm not worried at all. Jordan S right. is going to be a star wide receiver in the NFL. Right. But um, CFF wise, I'm a little concerned here, mostly because, again, we're just getting a, at Pittsburgh, he was a the guy. At USC, mm-hmm. now we're looking at him sharing the field with Mario Williams, Gary Bryant uh, as like the, the main trio there. Yeah. Now, granted, they're going to have to throw the ball 45 times a game because that defense is awful and they're constantly going to be in high scoring <laughs> games. So right. maybe it's not going to matter at the end of the day. Maybe Addison's still going to get his fill. I could totally see that system being able to put up two different CFF wide receivers this year. So you mentioned that his value goes up for you, goes up a little bit for you here. He was mm-hmm. the, he, before this he's being drafted as the wide receiver five and about an ADP of fifteen point nine in the mock drafts that I have been doing. So that puts him right there at the beginning middle of the second round. I no. thought I had zero shares of Addison in any of those leagues because I thought he was going too high as the pit. I'm kind of thinking that with this move his value starts to make a little bit more sense. Uh, yeah. If you really believe that he is going to be the wide receiver one at USC, again, I'm yeah. still, I still haven't decided whether or not I think Addison or Mario Williams would be the guy. Because again, Mario Williams and Caleb Williams, they had the Williams to Williams connection. Uh, they clearly had some chemistry already. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm, I haven't fully formed my opinion on this uh, situation here. Now, what do we think about back at Pitt? Eh, Kanata Mumfield is the one that is the most intriguing to me there. But again, I don't, I'm with you. I don't like Keaton Slovis. I don't like the offensive coordinator from Boston College kind of taking over that system. It's a very big step down, in my opinion, from Mark Whipple uh, yep. last year. So Kanata Mumfield, like, I saw somebody who was like, oh, does this mean Kanata Mumfield has what Madison's what <laughs> value was? I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely right. not. Kanata is a, I'd say, a great pickup in like the wide receiver 40, 45 range. Pick him up on your bench. Don't try to rely on him. He might still produce. Maybe Keaton does better than what I'm expecting. But again, this was all net benefit to USC 100%. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and it's going to be one of those things. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out, like you said, between him and Mario Williams. I mean, we're really going to feel uh, figure out who Mario Williams is with Addison coming in. Cause if he competes with them for targets, like, man, like that guy's got a great future but right now. I think that's a little bit up in the air and, and we'll see. And I love Mario Williams. So don't get me wrong. Like I think the kid's great. So yeah, Mario Williams, it'd be fun to watch. I think if Addison still goes in the second round, Mario Williams is still going to be the value to me. Cause again, my, in my mock drafts, he's being taken as a wide receiver 40 on ADP. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'd rather have Mario Williams in, at wide receiver 40 than reach for Addison as wide receiver five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is a little tricky there and yeah, we can get deeper into this another time, but in that second round, I mean, there's a lot of like Xavier Worthy's going pretty high yeah. and there's some guys that like, I think it's like, man, you got JSN, obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then I, I like AT Perry a lot. Mm-hmm. and um but then i think you get in like after that and it's really like man there's some guys that have question marks around that wide receiver too like how good and we'll talk about them later but how good is isaiah and a are gonna be you know exactly. you got uh josh downs like are you know are they actually gonna move them around and not allow teams just bracket them like they did the last half of the season last year i think we all hope they do 
Right. And they did in the spring game. So I think there's a bunch of question marks there with all of those wide receivers. So oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I'm going to run through a list of just kind of additional transfers of interest here. Uh, mostly for you guys who are listening to just know that this happened. And if you want to, you can go look into it a little bit deeper. We're not going to dive too deep into it. Although, Josh, if you hear any of these that really strike your fancy, we can talk about it for just a few minutes. Uh, yeah. So wide receiver Matt Landers transfers from Toledo to Arkansas. Caleb Chapman, wide receiver out of Texas A&M, transfers to or- Oregon. Kamaro Edmonds, former four-star running back out of UNC, is transferring to East Carolina. Peter Costelli, quarterback out of Utah, is transferring to Troy. L.V. Bunkley-Shelton is transferring from Arizona State to Oklahoma. Elijah Badger, another wide receiver out of Arizona State, is transferring to Florida. Cody Jackson, is a wide receiver out of Oklahoma, is transferring to Houston. And then Quincy Patterson, a quarterback out of North Dakota State, is transferring to Temple. So, Josh, do any of those kind of really tickle your fancy in terms of, like, possible guys you could be targeting in CFF this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Not, nothing this year. Maybe more dynasty-wise, like a Peter Costelli, who I know the C2C sure. guys are really high on. Um, I think he had a pretty good 100-meter time for a quarterback and um, transferred out from Utah and and here to, to Troy. And so when big P5 guys like that transfer out, they got a lot of talent. Like, you just got to – I mean, like on the back end and like what we're talking about here, right? And a dynasty draft, like your 14th, 15th round, most of your guys aren't targeting Troy, Troy quarterbacks. Exactly. So he's a good guy that like, again, dual threats, kind of, we call him Konami code over at fantasy points, Konami code quarterback. Yeah. They, they rule the day. And in my opinion, in, in college fantasy. So he's a guy I'd consider the rest of them. I think we should have a funeral for their dynasty value. <laughs> <laughs> and also the other question is who's left at Arizona state to catch balls. Cause like, this is just getting really sad at this point. Cause between these two and Ricky Pearsall, like, man, it's so sad. Well, I thought I, that I just so realized much I, it's not Elijah Badger. Uh, it's okay. Ricky Pearsall went to Florida. I, I, okay. I, I knew something fell off about that. Ricky Pearsall went from Arizona state to Florida. Elijah Badger is still in the portal, I believe. Okay, so, I was about to say, like, but still, you you get the point, right? That's that's why I want nothing to do with Arizona State over the next couple of, at least no. until they figure some things out. I, I remember we were talk, I was talking to Mitch. He drafted Tevin yeah, White. Yeah, Tevin game. White. I was like, I don't want any part of that system right now until they figure their crap out. I think you you are a very wise man, Jared. <laughs> Um, the other one that kind of piqued my interest, and we, we talked about it a little bit because it broke on the show last week, but Matt Landers from Toledo, Arkansas. As a Georgia fan, we had Matt Landers in 2019, mm-hmm. and that was by far the worst mm-hmm. year of our offense. And we had to rely on Matt Landers as our ex-receiver. And let's just say we do not have a great relationship with Matt Landers. Uh, <laughs> he transferred out, and he went to Toledo. And I was like, okay, that's probably the last we hear of him because I really just don't think he's that good of a receiver. But then near the end of the year, he started kind of picking it up a little bit. I was like, yeah, no, like he, like this might work out at Toledo. And then all of a sudden he enters the portal and he's going to Arkansas where Sam Pittman, uh, I imagine there's probably a good relationship there from when Sam Pittman was on the offensive staff at Georgia. Do we think this might be like some kind of signal that Jaden Hazelwood might not be um like some people kind of believe that he is the kind of heir apparent to Traylon burks and that x position there at arkansas do we think that maybe this is like maybe not landers is taking that over but it's just a sign that they don't like what they have what do you think about that josh yeah i mean i think there's i think it definitely could be i was never a big hazelwood guy 
um, to begin with. So I've always been hesitant. So I definitely think you should be careful. You know, in general, it makes you wonder, you know, they move. um, Oh, my gosh. Backup quarterback. uh, Millie Cornsby. Yeah. They move him to wide receiver. Kind of weird stuff they're doing with him. It just makes you wonder, like, do they trust any of their wide receivers that they have? And I, I really like Katron Jackson. Um, and then obviously they got Satania coming in, Isaiah Satania coming in. But so you just it just seems like they're just trying to throw spaghetti against a wall and see what sticks. I don't know. Like I, I'm staying away from all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, just try I just KJ don't think Jefferson and call it a day, y'all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like it. So somebody's gonna hit. I don't think it's Landers though. Like I he got really bad advice to go. <laughs> to go to Arkansas and probably be a fourth wide receiver on that squad versus being the number one at Toledo. Maybe some NIL played into it. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at him getting, getting sniped on him in best balls lately. So I'm, you know, cause I was all about Matt Landers at Toledo. <laughs> no, again, he, he seemed like he had a good situation there set up at Toledo. That's why I was so shocked when he entered the portal again. And that's when I thought I was like, okay, so maybe it's just not working out again. And we're just going to have to see him. Uh, probably go to FCS, but then all of a sudden the crystal ball came in for the for the Razorbacks, and I was like, "All right, that's kind of interesting." Um, didn't expect that. Yeah, and and you wonder what it does to to me at least, like Daquan Finn's value, um, because he's lost Isaiah Winstead, and now he's lost Landers. So he's got what Devin Maddox coming back. And he's got some other guys. I mean, they were they recruit well for a G five level, but those guys have not produced yet. That's so. True. But again, it's it's I don't I don't want to say this like I don't want to sound mean when I say this, but it's the Mac. Like right, you don't right. you don't need stud wide receivers to to throw to in the Mac. Like it's right. a very defensively challenged conference. There's going to be tons of points put up every single week. Daquan, if he can't get his receivers going, he can get his legs going. I think Daquan's going to be just fine even without this. Yeah, it would be fun to see. It would. <clears throat> All right, so we'll move on to our next segment here. Uh, it's more of just like a discussion-based part of this where I just had a question because I've, I've actually had this proposed to me several times by people in my DMs and everything, and I try to give the best answer that I can, but I feel like this is a great time to talk about this. Again, uh, plugging in that latest Future Freshman Pod episode, we talked about freshmen almost exclusively on this one. Here we're going to talk about supplemental players, but the question that have a lot of people kind of run into is that supplemental drafts often include supplemental players and freshman players together some leagues separate them but a lot of leagues put them in there together so the question here josh is how do you balance when you're in a cff dynasty league and this kind of goes for campus canton leagues as well i guess um how do you balance freshmen versus supplemental players when you are drafting in these drafts like what's your kind of philosophy behind it yeah for me i mean it's really all about value so, and value to me is who's going to produce as soon as possible and mainly with, with multiple years left. So I mean, if you're competing for championships, you need one year, but really in your first, second round, like you need to have guys going to produce for the next two, three years. And so I think in, in two to three year blocks with this, and um, I mean, the guys that we're going to get into today, like if they're on your waiver wire, like you need to pick them because they're going to produce and they can produce right away. And most of them are going to produce for multiple years because um, either they're not eligible for the draft or they're just not not good enough to go in three years versus four. So um, that's what I would say. Like 
man, I, and also like, I'm just not one to throw away money. So I'm always wanting to compete. Like I'm, I'm not that rich of a dude. So <laughs> if, I, if I have any semblance to compete, um, but like, I'll say like last year, you know, where it was the COVID year. So a lot of, a lot of places you didn't draft. And so I got Trevion Henderson with like pick nine or 10 and, uh, um, and he was a freshman. I usually don't go freshman super early like that, but I got him. And then I was over to flip him for Corral and, and John Rice Plumley. Um, cause I was trying to compete this year, yep. that year. And, and then I went to the championship game in that league because I have, you know, Matt Corral. And so I think it's all about value and like, what can, cause it's dynasty. Can you flip those guys? So mm-hmm. it's really thinking about that too. So. Yeah. See, to me, like, again, you're the mindset, like always compete. And for a lot of people, that is exactly what you want to do every single year. But if you're like me, like Josh is great at CFF dynasty. I'm still learning a little bit. So <laughs> I have one team that is just awful, like straight up awful. And I need to, it's, it's going to be probably a one to two year uh rebuild and so i think in a in a team like that where you're kind of realizing that this year is probably not the year to compete but build towards next year that's when you probably lean a little bit more towards freshmen and kind of some younger players who may not start this year but in their second year if they're able to win the job at some of these places like we talked about it on the again we i keep plugging this freshman podcast our future freshman podcast but again go listen yeah. to it. but we talked we talked a lot about it where if you stack up on some of these like Bama wide receivers as freshmen, and you just kind of hold on to them for a year, and if they can win that job second year, you're gonna love having the Bama like starting wide receivers for Bama. You're gonna love having the running back at Ohio State. You're gonna love having uh, Jadon Blue on your on your team for one year, and then when Bijan goes first round this year in the NFL draft, he's the next guy up. Like yeah, it may suck for a year, but if you are thinking about that two years down the line. It could really help you out. Now, again, the caveat to that is, of course, there are no guarantees in college football whatsoever. You think that you have this can't miss prospect, and then all of a sudden you are looking at your, he, all of a sudden some guy transfers in when you thought he was going to get the job, and then all that great stuff. But again, to me, again, it's just evaluate your team and just make a plan for the next one to two years and base it off of what you're going to do. If you really think that there's no way you're going to be able to compete this year, take some risk on some younger guys in some proven systems and hope that they get the job, not in year one, but in year two. So that's kind of my philosophy on it for the most part. Yeah, I like that. And I think one piece of advice I would give, and this is myself included, um, I think a lot of us think we know how to evaluate players better than we actually do. True. And so I'll go back and I'll review a lot of like old dynasty drafts just to see, okay, what's the hit rate? And it's like the first round is like a 25% hit rate. And it's the first round. It's like yeah. the people that we're most sure of. Um, and so one, if you are insecure about your ability to evaluate, like first round picks have a lot of value in trades. Yep. So go get a guy that has two, three years left that you know is going to hit. Um, or like shameless plug, like, Hey, go to campus to Canton and like get a subscription for 50 bucks a year or whatever. And it's like, because like that will help you. Cause there's people that are, are doing this all the time. And I think exactly. something like campus to Canton is probably going to make people more accurate in dynasty, but like we didn't have campus to Canton three years ago. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think it's like, you know, 
be humble in your evaluation. Assume that other people are smarter than you and like, and go get a subscription. And, and then also like really evaluate in that way. And if it's not a sure thing, then go the supplemental route or like trade that pick. And you'll you'd be surprised how much value those first round, those first picks have. So. No, I think that's actually a, a great piece of advice there. Again, if you are like questioning your ability to evaluate guys coming out of high school, go the supplemental route then. Because most often when you have guys who are values and supplementals, these aren't guys that we're hoping get the job in year three. Honestly, it, for the most part, if, if guys don't have the, or aren't set up to the job in year two, we're probably not viewing them as that likely of a value in CFF Dynasty in the first place. So go grab these guys who are set to have starting jobs. I'm looking at our list of 12 guys here we're going to talk about. Pretty much every single one of them we expect to have the starting job this year. That's the whole point of it. Um, um, don't don't draft a guy who's in year two that you're like, oh, he might win the job in year three. Don't worry about that. That that I guarantee you, you're going to have a lesser hit rate on that than if you just drafted freshmen in good systems. Right. So, let's go ahead and get into some of these supplemental guys then, Josh. I say we just... Nice. Hit the ground running on this. So let's go ahead and start off. Again, we're going to cover 12 today, kind of uh, simulating, not simulating a first round, because I don't want you guys to think that if we say some yeah. guy is the second pick, that like that's the second pick you should take in a supplementary. We're just going to, me and Josh kind of pulled together like our list of players that we think are the most valuable and supplemental, and we just kind of picked 12 that we were both kind of consistently high on. Um, I will say a quick caveat here. We are not going to talk about Quinn Ewers, uh, because in a lot of the leagues that we do, he was already available last year. But I do know there are several leagues that just said, hey, he reclassified too late. We're just going to do him in next year's uh, freshman draft. And that's awesome. If he is available in your league, he is the 101. Don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Easy conversation. Easy conversation. You have the 101 pick and Quinn Ewers is available. Just go for it. Alrighty, but let's talk about some of the players we are going to talk about here today, and we are going to talk about another quarterback here first, and that is Mr. Cameron Ward, quarterback out of Washington State. This past year at Incarnate Word, again, he's coming from the FCS, that is why he is available in every single league, unless for some reason you have already allowed him to be waiver wire picked. Um, but last year, through 590 times uh, for 4,649 yards, uh, 47 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. He is now coming over to Washington State following his former head coach from Incarnate Word last year, Eric Morris, and who is a disciple of Leach, runs kind of his own version of the air raid. Uh, it's not quite the air raid because he is very he is very outspoken by the fact that he does use tight ends and running backs. <laughs> um, but he, they are going to throw a ton. Last year, the lowest amount of times that Ward threw the ball was 30 times. Uh, so you got if you got a base floor of thirty throws per game with your quarterback, you're gonna love that. Jared, did he average like forty five throws a game or something? It was something. Like, it was something crazy. Like I like it. I I saw some games where he was in the fifth, like in the fifties on this number of yeah. throws. Like it, it yeah. was absolutely nuts. And they got so many weapons at Washington State for him to play with. Uh, Dejon Stripling, I poo pooed him a little bit last week, but he's still a great wide receiver <laughs> for them to use. Uh, Renard Bell coming back from injury lincoln victor has been making noise and then also for for those of us with ptsd from last year they also have bob farrell who is a wide receiver from incarnate word also following his former quarterback here to washington state they have so much for him to use it's not like he is 
losing the on the number of talent of the amount of talent he could use this is a they're in the pac 12 and i've known for poo-pooing on the pac 12 defense it's not like this isn't a system that can work in or that can't work in the pac 12 to me this is chris moxley has gone as far to say that this is this year's bailey zappy i'm not going that far but i will say Given last year's stats with Cameron Ward, and if you reduce his 13 games down to 12 games in order to simulate the regular season, mm-hmm. he would have been QB6 last year with the stats that he put up. And he is set to have, again, better better system or um, just better players around him to play, play around with. He's with his offensive coordinator. I think this is it's hard to miss on this one. I think... In my opinion, if I was doing a solely supplemental draft and Quinn Ewers was not there, this would be my 101. What do you think, Josh? Yeah. Yeah, I like Cameron Ward a lot. I mean, I, I we were you and I were in a best ball a few weeks ago, and I, I just completely blanked that he was still on the board because I was doing stuff with my my kiddos and um and I picked like Adrian Martinez or something. And you picked a Cameron Ward right after me, like, what the heck was I thinking? So I love that I love the guy. Um, and I love, you know, incarnate words like an hour down the road from me here in Austin and so in San Antonio. So, you know, it's, it's fun. Uh, and he, the only thing that I'm worried about is the comparison to Bailey Zappi and, and innocent because it's the narrative sets up, right? Like, yeah. totally like perfectly, but like we've seen at least four FCS QBs come into the PAC 12 over the last 10 years or so, mm-hmm. and they haven't fared well. So you had Vernon Adams, I think it was back in like 2014. Um, my timeline might be off on that, but he played 10 games. He He's the most successful. He had 2,600 yards, 26 touchdowns and six uh, interceptions and 147 mm-hmm. yards on the ground and two touchdowns. But he finished second in the Walter Payton Award, which is the FCS Heisman, right? Yes. Cameron Ward was a finalist. Dakota Prukop comes in and he played six games for Oregon. And he, uh, you know, 1,200 yards, he got usurped by Justin Herbert, which we know uh, how that turned out for him. But he was a first-team FCS All-American. Gage Gubrid after that at Washington State, who did never start a game. And then you have Kevin Thompson. Yeah. And you have Kevin Thompson with, with Washington that came in. He was FCS first-team All-American. So I just worry about him jumping to levels like that. Mm-hmm from the FCS and I consider G5, right? A lower yeah. level. I think Bailey Zappi, we really saw, right? Like he played three conference USA game teams last year sure. and he dominated or two years ago. So we just saw like, we had a sample size. We had all of that. We should have been picking them in the, in the second round. We were picking them in the seventh there. Yeah. And so I, you know, not, I don't want to throw like water onto the Cameron ward, like fire, but I also like want people to be aware of like, Hey, there is some, there is some risk in this. It's not like, not, not that he's, and I'm not saying he's going to flame out like these other guys. I think he's in the best situation, but he might not be QB six, right? Like right, he right. might, it might, and I might take him a couple of years to adjust. Cause I mean, this is guy's a raw quarterback. He came from a running system in high school. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a guy that's only a year or so into the system. Um, Cause the COVID year they played spring ball. Yeah. So he's got, more games, but really one full year. So, anyways, I would say, yeah, Cameron Ward. Like, he, if he's there, like you got you got to take him because the potential is just out of this world. By but, the way, I meant to, I meant to say at the beginning of each of these guys, Cameron Ward has three years of eligibility left. 
And yep. there is some talk among the C2C circles that he could be, a, if he does as well as we say, he could be a guy that goes to the NFL, but he also could be a guy that sticks around for all three of those years of eligibility. That's right. So if you That's are right. getting a guy with the potential to be a top six quarterback in CFF every single year and year out, maybe it's not this year, but the next year, if he gets another year under his belt, absolutely worth taking in my opinion. And Josh, you were talking about like, uh, we, do, we want to be careful about the comparison to Bailey Zappi. You're right, but he's also not being taken where Bailey Zappi would have been this year. Like if Bailey Zappi returned for another year, he would be the number one pick overall. And we would, ne- mm-hmm. we would nothing would be worried about. That's not where Cameron Ward's going in drafts. He's a QB 13 going around the beginning of the fifth round in most of our drafts. I think that's a safe enough, like, if you're a little backed off on him a little bit, fifth round, I think you're okay kind of taking the upside there. Yeah, and it's definitely an upside play. But, again, it's not without – I mean, also, his conference I'm – a, I'm a JMU graduate, James Madison. And so, I, you know, I follow – yeah, not really. But F- I was a sports management major, so there you go. I'm not in grad school, you. But uh, anyways, FCS, uh, you know, I'm a little bit familiar, and that conference is not very good. So, there again, there's just a lot there that I would say, man, he's going to step up. He's raw. Um, look, he's got tools. But, like, and I would say this, if Cameron Ward does, if you draft him and he doesn't hit this year, like, hold on to him because I think he'll develop. Yes. It'll be good, but like this year, like it may be a learning curve, and I think we shouldn't be surprised by that if it happens. Yeah, one hundred percent. And just to kind of close this one off, we've been talking about it for a while, but at the end of the day, system, system, system. You give me a quarterback that is guaranteed to throw me thirty times a game. I don't care how bad he is. That is a good floor for me in CFF. That's right. Most days out of the week, even if like for some reason, if he throws thirty times and somehow he gets less than two hundred fifty yards. The process wasn't wrong there. That is just right. bad crap luck. And sometimes that happens to CFF. But That's right. I'll take that any of the day of the week. Speaking of systems, let's talk about a guy who is probably the main beneficiary, we can all agree, of one of the greatest CFF systems we have seen in the last couple of years. We're going to talk about Mr. Miles Price, uh, wide receiver out of Texas Tech. You got the Zach Kitley offense coming over to Texas Tech. I can tell you his stats from last year, 38 receptions, 523 yards, and two touchdowns. Nobody wants to hear that. They would rather hear the the stats from Jarrett Stearns last year, the wide receiver one from this system, where he had 150 receptions, 1,902 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Jesus. Can Miles Price get to that level, Josh? What are we thinking here? He's my wide receiver nine for like redraft this year, but he's got three years of eligibility. What are we kind of thinking here, man? Yeah. And I mean, and maybe he's an NFL talent, right? Like my co-host with fantasy points and our, our, we got his tailgate live stream on Saturday mornings. Like he loves miles price, but like, he's at least got two years left in the system. Oh, yeah. And like Jared Stern, yeah. 150 catches, 188 targets. Like, I mean, it's just, the volume is insane. And so, if it's a PPR, like a full PPR league, like you may take him number one oh, I would. if he's available, right? Like, uh, you know, I think Miles Price, the sky's the limit. There, We don't even know who the wide receiver two is there, right? Like sure. Miles Price is really the only one that we're certain about that's going to produce here. And again, not that they don't have other talented receivers because they do, 
we're just not sure where they fall in the pecking order, but we know miles price is going to slot in there and, you know, no pun intended, but uh, you know, I think it's going to, I think this is going to be really fun to see. And I think if he's available, you know, in your, your C2C or your C2C in your dynasty league, then um, I don't know. You got to, you got to take him if he's there. And to me, some people might come back and say like, well, doesn't the quarterback situation matter here? Tyler Shuck or Baron Borton. Once again, guys, it's the volume. It's like even even a Shuck comes out, and I would say both of us might agree that Shuck is probably the lower ceiling out of the two quarterbacks, but I'd say Morton is the lower floor out of the two. Um, but even so, Shuck comes out. He doesn't have as high of a ceiling. If they're throwing 30 times a game like they were um, at Western Kentucky and everything, or 30, 35 times a game guaranteed, it doesn't matter. Miles Price is probably going to earn at least 12, 13, 14 of those targets every single game. Volume's going to be absolutely insane for him. Probably more than that. I'm probably lowballing it. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd probably 40 to 45 times a game they're going to be throwing it. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, <clears throat> I again, if if you miss on Miles Price, as far as I'm concerned, once again, the pro, your process wasn't wrong. You were going for a right. guy in a system with a ton of volume that clearly looks like the best wide receiver that they have going into this year. I say take Miles Price and don't look back. Yeah, if he is absolutely, absolutely. All righty, let's go ahead and move on to our third guy here. And we're going to go back to quarterback here. We're going to go Colin Schley, quarterback out of Kent State. Last year, Cr- Dustin Crum finished as the QB 14. Colin Schley was behind him. Colin Schley got a little bit of work, uh, 23 passes for 187 yards and a touchdown. Nothing too crazy, although he w- did flash on the ground. Had 20 rushes for 127 yards and three touchdowns. So very clearly going to be another dual threat quarterback here at Kent State. Kent State has one of the best offenses in the country in terms of running plays per game. Josh, Schley here has three years of eligibility. The NFL is not coming, Colin, for any Kent State quarterback as far as we are concerned. Do you just take Colin Schley as the Kent State quarterback, knowing you probably can't play him the first four games of every single year, but then you just suck up those Mac points later in the season, especially around playoff time? What do you think, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. And I think he could be in that QB1 conversation in the supplemental draft in that sense, too, of like, man, like... He's six foot three, 218 pounds. And I think we think about like Crum, those that saw him play, and they're like, oh, he's like big. He's like six one, two ten. Yep. And Schley's like bigger, stronger, faster, uh, better athlete mm-hmm. than Dustin Crum. So he in that, like you said, like that's what he came in and did last year. He came in and ran, but he's got a good arm too. And um, you know, I think there might be a little bit of learning curve, and we just we just hope that. <laughs> he doesn't get injured or killed exactly. uh, in those first four games. But if he doesn't, go ahead. I was going to say Jesus, those first four games. Again, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Washington. And then I think they, yeah. get, I think they get a little reprieve in there, but like. Yeah, I think they'd be like Austin P State or something. Austin P. but yeah, it's funny. But, I, you know, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like this guy, his upside is massive. You know, they throw down the field, but they also throw a lot of screen passes. And so it's not like you're the quarterbacks in this this system don't have to have like a crazy complex. It's not a crazy complex system. They're throwing simple passes. Exactly. So I like Colin Schley a lot. 
Yeah, they, again, they have plenty of weapons for him to work with. They got uh, two running backs that can catch out of the backfield, Marquez Cooper yep. and Xavier Williams. Dante Cephas is being taken as the wide receiver. What is he being taken as? Uh, wide receiver 14 in most yep. of the drafts that I've been doing. Like, you're like clearly this offense is not expected to skip a beat here. They're planning on taking over the MAC again. They'll probably be back in the MAC championship again next year because they can just outscore everybody in that conference. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, like Schley, if it's a solely supplemental draft, probably is in the better be taken off in the first half of the of the first round. Yeah, and how's that coach? How's Sean not gotten plucked by this point? Like he's like such an incredible play caller. Well, I think it's like you said, like it's mostly simple stuff that just works in a conference like the MAC. So maybe that's part of it. But yeah. also, you know, some people are just happy with where they're at. Maybe he likes just winning the MAC conference every single year. Yeah, he, he he grew up as a child and saw Kent State playing and said, "I am going to take them to so many MAC championships when I grow up." And when he went and told his parents that, uh, they wondered where they went wrong. Uh, exactly, exactly. But more power to him. I'm, more, I'm, we're happy, right? We're happy that he's decided to stay. Yeah, more power to him. And again, we've said it before: invest in systems. And the second most important rule of CFF invest in the mac it is an investment you can't play in the beginning of the year but once they start playing each other oh boy it's so much fun yeah and tuesday wednesday night games exactly doesn't get better why wouldn't you love that let's go ahead and talk about another quarterback here and that is quarterback preston stone quarterback out of smu has four years of eligibility left didn't play a ton last year only threw seven passes for 24 yards no touchdowns no interceptions or anything sitting behind tanner mordecai but man, the buzz has been buzzing all of spring that Preston Stone has been pushing Mordecai for that starting job with new new slash returning head coach Rhett Lashley because Lashley was the offensive coordinator before going to Miami and now coming back to SMU with Sonny Dykes moving on. Anyway, it kind of reset the quarterback competition and Lashley's been very clear that this is a quarterback competition and a lot of us, including myself at the beginning, were like, oh, they're just saying that because they don't want to lose Mordecai or Stone to the transfer portal. But the more and more I've heard along spring has said, no, this is very legit. They have both performed very well in spring. And it's pretty much not quite a coin toss. I'd say probably Mordecai has the edge right now. But Preston is very much pushing Mordecai for that starting job. And why not? He is the number one overall recruit that SMU has ever been able to pull. They definitely would probably be pushed to start a guy like him in order to be able to be more successful going forward. Josh, what do you think overall of Preston Stone? Regardless of whether he gets a starting job this year, do you think he's worth an investment in Dynasty? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting. So... You know, I'm a Miami fan, and so we had Rhett Lashley for a couple of years, and, you know, he came from SMU, and he promised not to try to recruit Preston Stone um, because of his relationship with dad, and he was super faithful to SMU. I mean, really speaks highly of him, but also Preston Stone's dad is like the former, like, student body president at SMU, and is like highly, highly connected. I want to say he's a booster, but I'm I'm not 100% on that. So there is a little politics here that you just kind of wonder. And Kmart Wheaton came back to play with Stone. Um, not to plug other uh, publications too much, but Billy Embody from, uh, he's an SMU beat writer for On3. He is unbelievable 
at just his analysis and his connections within that program. So he just hits on like everything. Um, so he, it's really interesting. Like he would say like for this year or not this year, but right now, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a toss up. There's a little bit more to Mordecai at this point, but man, like stone, like what he would say is like stone has this moxie mm-hmm. that the swag that that the players respond to. And so the question is, do intangibles, do relationships, do that stuff matter enough? But Preston Stone at some point is going to score 30 plus fantasy points a game yeah. uh, because although he is like a, a pocket passer, maybe he's he's a playmaker and he can make plays with his legs as well. And that's one of the one of the ways that he has a leg up on Mordecai. So I would absolutely I mean, even if you're if he's on, if he's if he's available in your supplemental draft, you're just going to wait a year. Because if Mordecai takes over, it means that he's going to break his school passing record from last year of 39 touchdowns, and he's going to go to the league. So I think Preston Stone's really safe to take regardless of whether he starts. But major bonus if he does, because he'll be a top 10 QB, I think. Yeah, we kind of, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like it's very, the, the hit rate's very low if you're going for guys that you don't know are starting and you're picking them in a supplemental draft. Preston Stone kind of breaks that because, again, he's right. going to start for the SMU at one point. They've made it very clear that he is so close to starting if he hasn't gotten the job already. As far as I'm concerned, pick Preston Stone. And, again, you're, you're exactly right, Josh. If he starts this year, that's awesome. If he doesn't, he's probably going to start next year, and you're going to be right back where you were with the starting QB of SMU. Before we go any further, I do want to clarify something real quick, and I should have clarified this earlier. Um... All the people we are talking about today are the rule that we have with this. Because a lot of people are probably screaming at you like, I don't want to hear about Miles Price. He's not available in my league. I don't want to hear about Colin Schley. He's not available in my league. The rule we went with here today was that uh, we are able to capture the roster ship percentages at the end of last year after all the championship games have been played. And we are choosing guys that are available in less than 5% of leagues i felt like that was a pretty good number to say like already even pretty deep dynasty rosters probably don't get into the um or like medium deep dynasty rosters probably don't get into those guys who are owned on less than five percent of rosters so if you're sitting there wondering like where like why we chose these guys and not some other guys who might be kind of low like you were kind of expecting to see that is why probably should have cleared that five that earlier but I'm clarifying it now and I'm doing a halfway decent job of doing it. Yeah, that that's a good point, Jared. Cause like here's the deal. If Preston Stone is available in your supplemental draft, please invite me into your league. Exactly. Um, because I'd love to be a part of that league. <laughs> I, again, some of these guys I was shocked by, but like some of these guys make sense. Cause again, like Right, for some, sure. Some of these guys were kind of late bloomers going into last year. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our next guy here. And some people, and again, I mentioned this on last week's show. If you're in a supplemental draft, this is probably where you want to grab tight ends. I mentioned Oscar Delp in the future freshman pod, and and like immediately Mitch kind of pushed back on me saying like, well, and Brandon as well. They both kind of pushed back on me like, hey, if you're in dynasty league, don't worry about drafting freshman tight ends. Uh, You don't want to you don't want to sit with them for a while. So here's where you're going to get your value in tight ends, and you there's no bigger value to me than Mr. Michael Trigg, tight end out of Ole Miss. Former four-star tight end went to USC, followed Jackson Dart over to Ole Miss, and ah, I have been so excited about this man all season. I kept telling people, I'm like, listen, 
all the things are lining up here. Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss have had success at the tight end so many times. Harrison Bryant, Kenny Yaboa being the two best ones out of it. If you had applied their, if you had applied Harrison Bryant's best season to last year, uh, he would have finished as a tight end too. If you had extrapolated Kenny Yaboa's season where he wasn't injured and extrapolated that to 12 games, he would have been tight end too last year. They very clearly love using the tight end over there in that offense. Trigg has the talent. He has the connection with Jackson Dart. It looks like he has the connection with Altmaier as well from what it sounds yep. like. It doesn't matter who starts there. He's going to be targeted in that red zone every single time. And in addition, no other receiver really has truly stepped up as far as we've been able to see. Jonathan Mingo is the incumbent, but he is injured constantly. Uh, Jordan Watkins might be interesting there in the slot. Jalen Robinson just got there to Old Miss, but we don't know anything about what he's doing yet. To me, the safest value in the Ole Miss offense is Michael Trigg, and he has four years of eligibility. That is a ton, ton of potential there. I would adore to be able to get Michael Trigg in any dynasty league if he is available. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think you're 100% honest. I think you and I uh, have very similar opinions on players. And it's one of those things where I think I've heard you say this in another podcast, but like, yeah, Michael Mayer and Brock Bowers going so high. Yeah. And Trigg is just, and then Koontz next, but Trigg for a long time. Like I, I know we both probably wish that he didn't blow up in that spring oh, game yeah. because I think he was still going in that ninth, 10th round ADP oh, range. 100%. And he's creeping up, but he's still value. And it's like, man, like, don't, don't go after Bowers, maybe go after Mayer, but probably not. Just wait for Trigg and, and wait for Koontz to get picked. And then Trigg will be the next one. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'll throw, th- I'll throw this out here with, because uh, I'm doing, a, I'm actually in the middle of a mock draft right now. Bowers and Mayer still went off in the third. Trigg was actually the third, third tight end taken off the board in the sixth round. Koontz is available, was taken off in the sixth round as well. So it looks like Trigg and Koontz are now that second tier. Yeah. I will take both of those guys over Myers and, uh, Meyer. Yeah, Meyer. Meyer. I had a brain fart there. Excuse me, everybody. Um, I will take both of those guys over Mayer and Bowers every single day. Because, um, again, Michael Trigg, to, to, to me, Michael Trigg, to me, is the best value, clearly, right now. And, like, I, I have debated putting him in my top two tight ends for this year. Because I've really, to, to me, too many things are just lining up for him not to produce. Yep. For me, like, I'll, I'll aggressively go after him in leagues. He's somebody that I'd be willing to, like, if he made it up into the fifth round of ADP, I'd probably still go ahead and grab him there because that's, um, that's how much I have a ceiling I think he has. Yeah, and I know this, we're not talking about best ball or redraft, but, but like, I would say, like, there's a drop-off in that fourth, fifth round because people are adjusting now yep. with wide receivers, running backs. And so go ahead and grab Trig there versus, like, if you don't get them in the first four rounds or running back or wide receiver, like, you're going to be hurting a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. I think later on. So I think Trigg, as far as draft strategy goes, Trigg's a great one. Just target fifth or sixth round. Get him in the fifth round. Be safe. Um, but but go ahead. I say in, in Dynasty, if he's there, he to me, if, if if we're talking just supplemental guys, are you taking him in the first round just to have that positional advantage, Josh? Yes, I think so. I think so absolutely because it's so the so much volatility, particularly if it's a PPR or even a tight end premium as more leagues are going to as um, I think C2C has influenced things in that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, absolutely. I think he's worth taking in, in that round uh, or in that range. If it's purely supplemental. 
Alrighty, we'll move on from Michael Trick here. Let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Byron Cardwell, running back out of Oregon. Uh, my running back 31 for this upcoming season in terms of redraft. We're looking at the likely RB1 here, Joshua. Or jo- Why did I say your full name there? What I am, I am. Just- it's great, man. My 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 son would be proud of you. <laughs> your son. <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to hear this story now. What's he just corrects every everybody calls me Josh, and so my son's like. <laughs> His name is Joshua. It's not Josh. His mom named him Joshua. What is he makes like this big deck? Like, he's offended that I people would call me. Adore yeah, that. it's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. My, I hope my kids respect me enough one day when like the, they'll they'll go they'll go to bat for me in terms of uh, saying my name. Although there's not really a good way to short Jared as far as I can tell. Uh, I don't know. Well, it, you know, it's cute at eight. Hopefully, he's not doing it at eighteen, or we'll have to have some <laughs> conversations about relational intelligence, but. True, 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 true. Uh, but anyway, Josh, talk to me about Byron Cardwell. Uh, guy has th- uh, four years of elig- eligibility, almost a three. Four years of eligibility left. Likely the RB one for Oregon this year. What are you seeing here? What are you, What are you super excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that's going to produce in a system that originated with Mike Norvell back in the day. I think it's Kenny Dillingham's the OC there, yes. but he comes from that Mike Norvell tree. Um, and, you know, I think they just had Marquise Irving come in there. And it's, even if there's two running backs, we've seen two running backs produce at a pretty high level in this offense at Memphis. Mm-hmm. And Oregon, um, Oregon, I think, was a top 15, 20 offensive line and advanced line stats, like standard, uh, standard yard, yard lines per play, standard line. Yeah, standard line yards per play. I'm sure he'll tell us. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's average standard line yards, but um, but they're a top 20 offensive line. They're really good offensive oh, yeah. line, and so I think he's he's going to produce. He's going to be the RB one there, and I think you're going to get him for a couple of years. Um, and even if Jordan James comes in and is killing it um, this year or even up to next year, I think you're going to still see a system that's going to feature at least two running backs, and they're going to run it. 40, 45 times a game um, because that's what Dillingham wants to do. He just didn't have the pieces to do it at um, both Auburn and then at, at Florida State later. So, yeah, that I, I like Cardwell a lot. I mean, I'm 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 drafting him this year to to produce this year. So I think if you can get him for two years, great. And and there's a good chance he doesn't. He could he could stay for four years because I don't think he's got super high upside. Um, in a you know in a C2C or NFL not not as anyways we can not talk about that but I think he could have three years of eligibility left um, for you so yeah I don't see him go I don't see him staying all four years but I could definitely see him like staying for that fourth year um, after high school and everything like that and you I, I was going to ask you about like them bringing in all these running backs with Whittingham uh, uh, excuse, not Whittingham Whittington uh, yeah. Whittington from Western Kentucky uh, Marcus mm-hmm. Irving and everything. If you were worried about maybe that kind of cutting into him a little bit, uh, Jordan James, a very similar kind of back to him, bringing in as a freshman. It sounds like they're excited about him. Um, yeah, they were able to keep Cardwell from transferring or anything like that. So it sounds like they want to use him this year. And if he produces this year, I see no reason why you wouldn't expect him to just stay at that producer for the next two years. And and we talk a lot about systems, right? And I yep. think it's a great system, and he's a good fit for that system. Like they're a lot of run run a lot of zone. He's a patient runner. He picks a hole and he can go. So I think I think he's going to fit well with what they want to do. And I think by now we've all heard the 
the stories of the 170 yard scrimmage that he had and all that. Um, and so, and they're giving him the treatment, right. Of like the star player, like, like your boy, Isaiah Bowser gets yep. at UCF, right. Where they're not, they didn't play him in the spring game because they didn't have to, exactly. and they wanted to they save him. So I think, I think it's all set up well for them, you know, yeah, everything you want, he, he's got, you know, and I think he'll produce for a couple years. Now, again, is he going to be top five CFF running back? No, Probably but, um, but he's going to be solid. So great safe floor for him. Absolutely. Let's talk about our next player here. We're going down to the state of Texas. We got Mr. Isaiah Nayor, wide receiver out of Texas, formerly wide receiver out of Wyoming. Buzz has been going all spring for Nayor. I was a little hesitant at first because, again, I'm, I'm a big Worthy guy. I like Worthy quite a bit. And I was like, ah, I don't really know if I really believe about like this idea that Nayor could be a 1B. I thought it was going to be clearly the Worthy show and then Nayor would be the clear number two. But... Sounds like that this is go- like they're going to be a dynamic duo for this offense. When yours is a starter, he's going to have a plethora of weapons there. We saw it in the spring game. Nayor can be a burner for this offense. Great deep threat for him. And then we all breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief with Jordan Addison going to USC <laughs> rather than Texas because I I actually talked to Mitch about this last week and he actually brought up a good point about how. Texas's offense kind of mirrors Ohio State's a little bit, and Ohio State has an ability to produce three fantasy-relevant wide receivers, so maybe there's a possibility that all three of them could have been great at Texas. Even so, we don't have to worry about that anymore, and we don't have to worry about two major options here, and I think Nayor and Worthy are definitely above Whittington. Again, we have, let's see, Isaiah Nayor has three years of eligibility, Going forward, he doesn't really strike me as a wide receiver that is itching to go to the NFL. Now, granted, he did make that jump from Wyoming to Texas, so very clearly he think he has some eye on the ball there, thinking like, all right, if I go to Texas, maybe that'll boost my stock there. What do you think overall of Mr. Nayor? Uh, Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think he's such a talented player. I went to the spring game, um, you know, in person because I'm here in Austin, and man, his size and his speed just pops off, right? He's mm-hmm. 6'3", 218, and he's fast, fast. Like, he's not he's not worthy fast. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, like, and you just, you can imagine, right? Like, that all, that defense is terrible. Mm-hmm. And Quinn Ewers, like, it, what does he like to do? He likes to push the ball down the field. Oh. And that's what he's known for, showing off that arm. And so, you know, I, I would – it's really, it's really tough for me to figure out what to do with Worthy and Nayor in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's part of me that goes, man, is Nayor the better value because Worthy goes so high in, in redraft? And that in turn comes to Dynasty, right? Where like, man, like Nayor could have real value in this offense. Mm-hmm. And so I absolutely think he's like, man, he's, ta- he's an NFL wide receiver. And you know, I don't know what that means for, you know, his eligibility and how long he'll stay, but he certainly could produce. And if Worthy gets hurt, man, like this guy is going to go bonkers. And, and, and Worthy, like there's one play in the spring game and I'm sure you watched it, but like he has that play on the sidelines where Worthy just gets like blown up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, he like went like 15 yards and like safety just pops him. And the kid is like 100, he's 160 pounds. He's not gained weight yet. 
and concerning. it's a little concerning. Yeah. And you just wonder, you know, like how much, like if he gets popped like hard, mm-hmm. is he out? And maybe, maybe super dur- durable and we see, but Nayor definitely has a lot of upside in this offense and they're going to, they're going to be, they're going to average 40 points a game um, because they're going to have to. Exactly. And so it's really interesting. And, you know, and Nayor just his potential pops off to me. I'll throw this out there as well. I mean, a lot of probably defensive coordinators haven't really considered the potential of Nayor yet. Probably going to focus their in on Worthy, and they'll probably learn too late that Nayor is, I won't say just as capable receiver, but also a very capable receiver. And with all the focus being put on Worthy, because Worthy kind of showed his hand last year, maybe Nayor takes advantage of that, and they're able to get the ball to him more than Worthy. Yeah. Absolutely. So, let's go. Yeah, ahead good and, point. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. From a guy who has left Wyoming to a guy who is still at Wyoming, one of the few players who actually managed to stay at Wyoming because another school like Arizona State where it's just a mass exodus. But unlike Arizona State, there is still one man here, one man with the Cowboys that we are investing in for CFF this year. And that is Mr. Titus Swen, running back out of Wyoming. He is my running back 18 for this year. He is the only member we're talking about here today that has only two years of eligibility. But Josh, why are we so in on Titus when, even though he has probably the least number of years of eligibility here, and we're, like, again, we just mentioned this is a program we don't particularly love anybody else in. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just, <laughs> I'll, we'll run off some stats here of the last, like, seven years of running backs, right? Yeah, Brian Hill, 1,631 yards. Next year, 1,860 yards. And we'll skip a year. It's coming over street. He had 481. But then we go back with Nico Evans, 1,300 yards. Valaday, 1,200 yards. And then you had 1,000 yards last season. So we're going to leave out COVID because they put like four games or so. Yeah. But like this is a system, right? Again, that just produces. And like, and I think Mitch made a great point. Like if you're not watching Wyoming, you might not have known this, but Mitch did talk about this in the future freshman podcast. But like, Man, Sven, he, Sven really took over in that last he did. like half of the year. He really made it more of an RBBC there. And so like this kid, he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. So he had to recover, and, but he's fully recovered. And he's got that speed back. And he was a talented back coming out of high school. So this is a kid um, that I think is absolutely going to produce at a high level. He's more talented than Valaday. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and like you said, he's RB18. In your rankings, and I think that's absolutely valid. And he's gonna, you know, as long as he doesn't over, as long as he understands his who he is, he'll stay for two years, and you'll have him for two more years. And so I think that's great value here. Two years of a running back that's going to get you twenty points a game. And um, if you're still rebuilding, and and after the year you can trade him off for a first round pick next year and and start over again. So. Exactly, and you you mentioned just that Wyoming running back has just been historically great for CFF, especially this last 10 years, and why not? They have one of the largest rushing shares in terms terms of their neutral pass rate. They only, Mm -hmm. uh, in a neutral passing situation, they only pass 30.7 times, or 30.7% of the time. So that means Mm -hmm. 7 out of 10 plays in a, just like a game that is like, like even score zero zero, they're gonna be running the ball. 
And Titus yeah. Wynn is by far the most talented player. They are going to be giving him the ball as much as they can. This is a pure, pure volume play. I'm not sold on the idea that Wyoming is going to score a ton this year, but it may not matter because Sven is just be, going to be given the ball so many times this year. I would love to be able to just draft Titus Wynn for two years, start him in my lineup every year, get my 20 points a week, 15, 20 points week in and week out, and just don't worry about it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. All right, let's go back to quarterbacks. We haven't talked about quarterbacks here in a while, and we're going to stick in the Mountain West, though. We're going to talk about Clay Millen, quarterback for Colorado State. To me, the big selling point here is that he is just the heir apparent to Carson Strong in the Jay Norvell offense. That entire offense was just picked up, dropped over from Nevada to Colorado State because Colorado State actually wanted to pay their head coach, unlike Nevada. Um, (laughs) And again, like... Millen doesn't have a ton of stats to go off of. He, had, he threw two times last year because Carson Strong was just out there constantly. But we've known for a while that he was going to be the next guy for Norvell once Carson Strong has left. There's been nothing out of spring camp to kind of counter that. It sounds like Clay Millen's easily the guy. And they have a ton of great weapons for him to work with this year. You got Dante Wright left over from the previous regime. A lot of people like him. But... Tori Horton and Melquan uh, Stovall both coming over from Nevada. I think those guys are huge values right now. I'd much rather grab them over Dante Wright. Um, yep. There's one more. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it's it's another wide receiver that I liked at Colorado. I don't know. Uh, I'll probably remember him later. But even so, like... Gary Williams? Well, even though he's a tight end? I would say the tight ends, um, Gary Williams. And there's another one that... Um, I forget him off the top of my head. I remember a beat writer there said that he's actually the starting tight end, not hmm. Gary Williams. Um, good Lord, I'm a terrible host. I should be bringing this information. <laughs> in the um, comments later. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the comments or I'll put a tweet out later. Um, but And then in, in addition, they got some receiving backs there as well. Vivens uh, was listed as the starting tight end in that same article because they think that he's just a better fit for this overall system. David Bailey isn't really a guy that you expect to catch out of the backfield a ton. Vivens seems more like that kind of guy. They've yep. got so many weapons for Clay Millen to work with here. He's my QB 28 for this year. I think that he's being severely underdrafted right now. If, if you loved Carson Strong last year, there's no reason not to take Clay Millen and expect really four years of production because we just saw Carson Shaw go undrafted. I don't think Clay Millen realizes, I think Clay Millen realizes that this system isn't built for the NFL to fall in love with you. So if he's a starter now, four years of a CFF starter, I'll take that any day. Yeah. Yeah. Clay Millen was one of those guys. I mean, 6'3, 200. He's one of those guys that got lost in the COVID shuffle, right? Like where like teams really didn't get it to get out and evaluate, but his numbers that he put up and he's from Washington, the numbers he put up out there were absolutely insane. His senior year, I think he had like 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, which is a good, like you want to get that kind of 10 to one ratio touchdown to interception mm-hmm. with a, with a quarterback for success in college. And he's got that. And he was a 91. He was a four star according to two, four, seven, like coming into college. You don't get those in the mountain West conference, right? Nope. You don't get those in this system. And so I, you're, you're right. He's just such a talented guy that like, you know, almost as long as, you know, the, the practice reports and spring reports are coming back as like, he's doing well and he's checking off boxes. Like you're simply 
checking in because you know this kid has talent and like Tory Horton is an absolute beast like Dante Wright is a floor for like what what they're capable there uh capable of there at Colorado State but Mulquan Stovall is a beast as well so he's gonna have weapons to throw to like you said you know I think it's a plug and play and um, pretty easy uh to say man Clay Millen you're gonna have him for three years and he's average probably 26 to 30 points a game for he's gonna be a solid starter oh very much so again i i i would draft him and just not even really look back that much again is is the ceiling capped a little bit because he's a pocket passer rather rather than a dual threat quarterback yeah of course but again like sometimes in a dynasty league especially if you're in a struggling team like mine you're just looking for anybody that you can grab that you can plug in and guarantee yourself 20 25 points if not 25 30 points every single week right so let's talk about another quarterback here. We're going back to the AAC. And we're going to talk about a dual threat quarterback now, finally. Uh, we're going to talk about Mr. <laughs> Evan Prater. Uh, Josh, I haven't let you start in a while, so I'm going to let you start on here. Why are we excited about Evan Prater, quarterback out of Cincinnati? Yeah, well, this kid was, you know, he was the number six dual threat coming out, according to 247 in, uh, what, 2020. And so he's a guy that's been waiting in the wings um, behind Desmond Ritter. And so he's... He was extremely raw coming out as a huge basketball talent, Mr. Ohio there in Ohio back in the day. So he's got like kind of as far as like tools go, six foot four, 200, he's got everything you want in a, in a college quarterback. Now here's, here's the deal. Like he, he might not start this year. There's a possibility because they brought Ben Bryant back and it's been a close competition. I will say the beat writers for two, four, seven for the Bearcat journal, they said, man, it was going back and forth in practices between the two. But they feel like Evan Prater over the last week of spring ball, like actually took a step forward in that competition. So I would say, according to the 247 guys, which I trust them, um, that like he uh, that Evan Prater's got a slight lead in that competition. And if he beats out, you know, Ben Bryant then like Ben Bryant's a good quarterback. It shows that he's got a good a good floor. So to me, and he's the type of guy that. You know, he's a playmaker and he's going to run for 50 to 100 yards a game. He's a, you know, he's a better runner than Desmond Ritter. This, this is a guy that I think you can pencil him in for six, 700 yards rushing on the yeah. season, probably. Yeah. So he's going to be, he'll, he'll be fun to watch. And, um, and I think he's a type that could absolutely produce, outproduce his ADP. Um, and, he, and you're still going to get another couple of years because he's not, I don't, I mean, he's got tools, right? But like, he's not going to the NFL next year. No, like, he's another two or three years down the road. Um, and he loves being at Cincinnati and, you know, he's not transferring out. So, nope. you know, it's exciting to watch. Yeah. You, what do you think about him? I, I was a little concerned about them bringing Ben Bryant back at first. But again, it seems like once the spring game came around, once that last week of practice came in, it really did look like that. Prater is just starting to separate himself, which is good news to everybody because, again, he is the highest rated recruit for Cincinnati of all time. You love to see them actually take advantage of the fact of this opportunity they, they get from these blue chip recruits. So very excited to see what he can do. If Ritter was able to be QB 12 last year with his rushing ability and everything, Prater, to me, at least in a raw sense, is a more talented quarterback. Again, Ritter definitely developed over his last couple of years into well, a, sec- a third-round quarterback for the NFL. I think Prater can absolutely take advantage of that same system to be a very good producer for um, 
for CFF going forward. And again, he's at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a program that is trying to separate itself from the rest of the AAC right now. They are going to body bag most of the teams that they play every single week. So you're going to expect a lot of scoring out of them. And so Evan Prater is in a very good position there as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Let's go ahead and hit up our second to last guy here. We talked earlier about like some of these guys are just people that were kind of under the radar last year, just weren't owned on a lot of rosters. Some of these guys come from FCS. We got somebody coming here from JUCO. We got Mr. Ty Edwards running back out of UTSA, or he was out of JUCO, going to UTSA now. All signs to me point to Edwards being the next UTSA running back. I have heard from you, Josh. I have heard from uh, Mitch. He's got some close ties down there at UTSA. I've heard from the beat writers. Everybody's kind of pointing at Edwards and saying like, hey, this is that dude for us going into this year. Um, and last year, since McCormick was able to be the RB21, um, I do wonder what this UTSA team's going to look like this year. They're kind of riding off the high from last year. What do you think overall, Josh, of Ty Edwards? You got to watch him in person a little bit, or at least meet him in person and everything. What do you think overall of him? Yeah, I like him a lot. I have a long history with Ty Edwards because I was I, I loved him when he was coming out of high school back in like 2018, I think, 2019, when he was supposed to go to FAU. So he was a big linebacker recruit back in the day. He was like an 86 rating on 247. He's recruited by a lot of Florida schools to play linebacker. But FAU is going to take him as a running back. And then he had to go Georgia Military Institute or something like that. And then with the Juco route. So, um, man, I've watched this guy play for a long time. And the speed size combo is just tantalizing, right? Like, it's fun to watch. And the other thing is, like, right now, like, UTSA has been decimated by injury in that backfield. He's kind of like the last man standing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But he's also, like, probably the most talented. I think for them, there is a guy that they got at the last minute um on signing day as a kind of like out of nowhere but they've been pleasantly surprised i'm like man like this dude's like legit so i think you know ty edwards i think he can absolutely produce and like you said like um sincere mccormick is rb22 and like i think the year before he had it was like 1400 yards rushing had 1400 yards rushing in last year 20 points a game i mean it's just a system that produces right exactly. and so this is what we want. And so it's Ty Edwards. I would have been concerned if DeAnthony Lewis, who was a true freshman last year, if he didn't tear up his knee, I would have been concerned about that. But right now, I mean, Brendan Brady's coming back, but that's, he's not anything. So I just think like, unless they're going to bring in some, some recruit that we don't know about yeah. that's hit the transfer portal. Like I don't, I think Ty Edwards has a pretty safe job here and it's a job that produces so. And I think people do need to start paying attention a little bit more to these JUCO guys. Because like you you would be surprised the talent that can come out of JUCO uh, with some of these guys. Because again, they go to, especially running backs, because they go to JUCOs, they get, some, they get heavy loads there, they get used to that kind of workload. And then especially if they come to kind of smaller schools like this, absolutely check, keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to plug uh, A-Star here, uh, A-Star underscore FF on yeah. Twitter. He constantly is putting out threads out there about JUCO guys that you should keep your eye on. I pretty much write down almost every single one of them, see if I can find a way to add them into my rankings and such. Because, again, there's, there's some pretty interesting names that can come out of JUCO every year. So absolutely check that out. Yeah, that's um, good. 
I again, I like Ty Edwards. I got him as my running back 26 for this upcoming year. I'm probably drafting him higher than pretty much everybody else. I know uh, I got him in the eighth round of this most recent mock that I'm doing right now. Yeah. And a lot of people were very like, all right, Mitch kind of pointed out very quickly. He's like, wow, that value is kind of rising, isn't it? I'm like, well, he deserves it. As far as I can, as far as I can tell, he is the guy for UTSA. He's got three years of eligibility going forward. I will take that for three years because, again, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's itching to go to the NFL. Right. And there's a, there's a no man's land there oh, yeah. um, in running backs. And so it's like, man, like, why not? Everybody's just drafting their guy at that point anyway. So exactly. go get your guy, man. All righty. Speaking of your guys, I am very interested to hear this last one because we got Mr. Ontario Brown running back out of northern Illinois. Three Former three-star recruit. I remember a lot of people being on him last year be able to take over the northern illinois job very much was able to get some work in last year especially with harrison whaley going down to injury and now javon ducker has transferred away to memphis josh you, you are probably the highest person i have seen out of anybody in the cff circle on ontario brown so i really want to hear your selling point on this man and i specifically want to hear like what about Harrison Whaley? Because he's coming back from injury, yeah. and like, how do you like, how do you kind of juggle those two, and why you think Ontario Brown is good enough to where he is a top twelve guy to grab in supplemental drafts this year? Yeah, and let me just say this right away: like, I, I'm dra- I, there's a certain point for me where I'm irrational with some of my guys. I just want them right. Oh, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna draft Ontario Brown in the fifth round. I think Harrison Whaley is probably a better value in like a redraft best ball right now because he's going after him. Um, and we can talk about that here in a minute. And I, I was not expecting Whaley to get up to 200 pounds and he's gotten up to 200 pounds. And so that's a little bit more of a workload that he can take. But Ontario Brown is five foot 10, 226 pounds. And you just don't see those running backs. And he ran 1106 in the 100 meter as a sophomore in high school. That translates to about a 4.5-ish 40. And you watch that breakaway speed. Um, even last year, we had, I think, four 35-plus yard runs. I mean, this isn't a guy. He's not just a bruiser. But one of the things that happened with NIU is they ran, I think, 45 times a game last year at three running backs that they are going with. And Clint Rakovich, who was kind of their third guy, but he was their goal line back and he was a bigger dude. And he had, I think, 12, 13 touchdowns on the year. And between Whaley and Ontario Brown, who's going who's gonna to get those touchdowns? And, um, and I think that's going to be Brown. And so I think there's a, there's a nice floor there with him in that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you're going to have him at least for, for two more years. After this, I mean, because at NIU, unless he transfers out and goes somewhere else, but he, I think he loves Thomas Hammock and that staff. Um, and so, Ontario Brown, man, like I, I'm going to, a guy that I can have 20 points a game with upside of more if somebody gets hurt, like he's a guy that, um, and man, he's just, you don't see like these high three stars going to the Mac. Oh, yeah. And he's a guy that at one point was like an 89. Um, two four seven rating, and so that's just a really high rating um, for a guy. Again, size speed combo at that level. We already talked about Max a cheat code. Yeah. Um, so I love Ontario Brown. I think if you can get Whaley too, I think both of them are going to average an absurd amount. They, they were the fifth best of rushing team in the nation last year. Yep. 
and it was them in North Texas that weren't triple option teams. So like, they're just a rare breed and what they could do. And I'm just, I'm not sold on Rocky Lombardi. And I, th- I think they're just going to run the ball because they, <laughs> yeah. they don't have to do anything else. And, um, and so for me, Ontario Brown is a guy that look, people could argue with him all day and they'd probably win the argument of like, should you draft him in the fifth round of a, a best ball redraft? Yeah, you probably shouldn't, but I'm going to, and here we are. And, uh, and I'll live and die with my guys and in dynasty too. Cause the guy is going to have value, um, for the next couple of years, I would absolutely take him and, and just see what happens to him. Cause the upside is ridiculous. Yeah. You pretty much touched on everything. I was going to kind of bring up where it's like, again, this is one of the best rushing teams in the nation. It is a system that could produce two CFF running backs. There's no doubt about it in my mind. So like, we could be looking at both Brown and Whaley having a great year next year. So I don't think there's maybe too much to argue about there. Again, you're right that Whaley is going after Brown. Whaley is going as RB56, while Brown is going on average as the RB40. So there's a, several rounds of ADP difference going on there. But if you're looking at this from Dynasty perspective, Brown, higher recruiting pedigree, has more years of eligibility. Whaley only has three. Brown has four. Um, and then you kind of touched on it a little bit. This is something I guess we can talk about a little bit more here. If you have these super talented guys at smaller schools, there is a possibility they could transfer to a different opportunity. Mm-hmm. That can be good sometimes. That can certainly be bad sometimes. But if why not go after a guy who is obviously already producing well at the sc- situation he's at? If he goes to a school, especially if it's like a Power 5 school that runs the ball a ton, you're going to love having it having it owned and i think that's a better reality or more likely reality for a guy like ontario brown where again he has the talent backing him than a guy like harrison whaley who is i don't want to say another just run-of-the-mill mac back because he's a good he's a good running back but like i think ontario brown is the more likely guy to realize like hey i have better opportunities elsewhere but like you said he, he does love the coaching staff here so maybe that's not an exact uh the exact situation going on here but again that's a possibility yeah. with some of these guys what, and what's interesting too with NIU, because I've, I've just gotten obsessed with them as I've gotten obsessed with Ontario Brown, but their, the, their ability to recruit running backs is pretty insane. I mean, if you hit on Whaley Ducker, yep. right, who's go, going over at Memphis, Memphis, and we all like him there, um, you know, and then you got Ontario Brown. They got a kid coming in this year named Jaden Creedle, who uh, his brother is the Georgia State wide receiver, right, uh, former UCF. Dude, he is unbelievable. And he's another high three-star from Georgia. Like, like they're just finding these guys uh, in Georgia. You're, you're, you're making me fall in love with him already. Because, again, I, I know the, the, the kind of backs that we produce here in Georgia. And they're three, if they're three stars in Georgia, they're likely four stars in most other states. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm a Florida guy. I'm from, I'm from Florida originally. So it's the same thing, right? It's like you just have to, like, not give, give them a notch up in the recruiting and uh, so go watch, go watch Jaden Creedle. He is, he's small. He's a little bit small. He's like 200 pounds, maybe like 190. but man, that kid is fun to watch. And you, you just go like, why did this kid end up at, at NIU? But he's going to take him three years to get to the field. So I don't know what you do with that in dynasty, but I'll be picking him in rounds 14, 15, cause nobody else will. And uh, we'll just see if there's some injuries and he can get on the field. But anyways, yeah, NIU, man, like they're, they evaluate talent. My point is they evaluate talent well at the running back position. And so I think it's one of those things that's like, man, you can trust, you can trust the system in that way and the, st- the coaching staff and their ability to evaluate talent and go like, man, this is a kid that's just talented. 
and and maybe he sticks to NAU and maybe he goes to a P5 job because he wants to go to the pros. But um, we'll see. All righty. That is some incredible conversations you had here today, Josh. I'm going to run through the 12 guys we kind of talked about here today. And if you guys want to reach out to us both later, like we have so many other guys that we debated back and forth of including onto this list. Unfortunately, we don't have time to really kind of dive into any of those guys right now. But I'll do a quick recap of some of these better players. And I really hope more than anything else, we covered a lot of different kind of guys that you can expect to find in your CFF supplemental uh, dynasty drafts. So that even if like you're missing some of the guys we talk about here, a lot of the stuff we talked about can be applied to other people you're looking at in your drafts. And that's really the best way to become good at CFF redraft and CFF dynasty is just learning how to identify types of guys rather than just individual players sometimes. Because again, I mentioned before, CFF at the end of the day, excuse me, CFF at the end of the day is system, system, system. You want to identify guys that are going to work in these systems and so, or just work in these uh, different types of situations. So, we'll go through it real quick. First one we had was Cameron Ward, Washington State quarterback. We had Miles Price, wide receiver out of Texas Tech. We had Colin Schley, quarterback out of Kent State. We had Preston Stone, quarterback out of SMU. We had Michael Trigg, tight end out of Ole Miss. We had Byron Cardwell, running back out of Oregon. We had Isaiah Nayor, wide receiver out of Texas. We had Titus Swen, running back out of Wyoming. Clay Millen, wide receiver, not wide receiver, Clay Millen, quarterback out of Colorado State. Evan Prater, quarterback out of Cincinnati. And then, or Ty Edwards, running back out of UTSA. And then finally, running back out of Northern Illinois, Ontario Brown. So that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Josh, I really appreciate you coming on here, man. It has been way too long in terms of me just being able to get you on here. And so with that being said, let everybody know what it is that you're working on. Where can they find you at? What can they kind of expect as the offseason kind of goes along? Or maybe what you, they can expect once they get into the season. Yeah. Thanks Thanks again for having me on, Jared, man. It's so much fun getting to chop it up uh, with you. And I mean, I just like like talking ball. So oh, yeah. and I think e- even like this conversation, right? Like even if these guys aren't involved in your supplemental draft or whatever, like this is a great redraft best ball conversation. True for guys that you can get in middle rounds or like replacement players. Cause they're in that 5% ownership. Exactly. Um, and so I think that it can help in that way as well. So I'm with fantasy points, man. I do CFF stuff over there and we are actually starting a new CFB package. That's going to involve like betting and, and um, you know, Very player nice. props DFS, which I've been doing over the last, that's really what I do in this industry is more kind of uh, cash single entry, DFS lineups and kind of writing on that stuff. But then we're going to get into some CFF player rankings and preseason content, some waiver wire stuff, you know, kind of traditional stuff in that way. And then also we have a great um, staff over there that does, loves Debbie. We have even some like we, we partner with C2C on some stuff as yeah. well. And so we'll have some of their guys writing for us. And so it um, should be fun. And we'll, we'll break that package out in June. Um, and so look for more, coming on that and you can follow me and I'll sure I'll be tweeting about that. So at CFF guys, I was saying, I'm like, if you don't remember, he's at CFF guys. I am CFF at CFF underscore Jared. Once again, I'm not going to go through the whole spiel again, but if you're watching on YouTube, you guys know what to do. If you're listening on podcasts, you guys know what to do. And again, Josh, really appreciate you coming on here and everything again, very excited about what we're going to be able to provide you guys going forward and everything. Again, topics are going to vary week by week. 
and so if you have any ideas of things you want us to cover, maybe it's like, uh, I know uh, I've gotten a couple of requests for draft strategies going forward. And so like I, I have a couple of guests lined up that maybe would want to uh, talk about uh, different draft strategies. Um, talked about an idea of like comparing best ball to the redraft ADP because uh, Mike Bainbridge and them have do- been doing a great job getting the best ball ADP. We've been doing a redraft ADP over here. So I'd love to be able to compare and contrast those two, find out where you can get your values in either one of those formats. Great stuff all around. But like I said, we want to hear from you guys on what you want us to talk about. So don't be afraid to hit me up in the DMs on Twitter. It's probably the best way to reach me. Um, and if I ever just don't respond to you for some reason, just give me a little bump, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I do my best to try to respond to everybody. Every once in a while, I do come across like a message from somebody that I like didn't respond to. And it was like two weeks later, I'm like, Oh, they must have thought I forgot about them. I didn't forget about you. I'm sorry. Even so, appreciate you coming on, Josh. Everybody else, I hope you have a wonderful and safe day. Have a blessed one.